The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Let's get to work. Would you guys please grab your Bibles? I hope you brought them with you. Open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you did not bring your own Bible, you can open up a hardback black one. They're under every single chair. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. It's on page 952 in those hardback black ones. You can open a phone or a tablet, but uh, that's where we're going to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is a a weighty text this morning. Um, As you're turning there, uh, when I, so I became a Christian when I was 16, okay? When I was 16 years old in high school, uh, I became a Christian. And before that point, my church experience was limited. It, I had some, but it just wasn't a lot. Uh, so I can remember being very young, like a little child, uh, and being, m- mama taking us to Catholic mass, and I remember going to uh, Catholic Mass, and, and the, the, I don't have much memory of it, other than the fact that I remember those, those padded kneelers, the little kneelers things. You remember these in, in pews if you've been to a Catholic Mass that are meant to kneel on for prayer? I thought they were meant to lay on for a nap. <laughs> so I'd lay on them uh, when we would go to Mass. I just thought, hey, they got a nice little spot for me to take a snooze during uh, the homily, and I didn't have any interest in it. So uh, that was that was kind of my first memory of church. Then growing up, uh, my church experiences were limited to what uh, we call CEO experiences, uh, CEO Christmas Easter only. That's what we, we called ourselves, CEOs. Uh, and, and we went uh, for Christmas, and we went for Easter, and that's how my family did church. We just kind of went those days. Now, uh, every once in a while, my mom and I had this conversation, but every once in a while, uh, mama would feel uh, a, a higher level of guilt uh, from her Catholic background. And, and so she would forcibly then wake my brother and I up early on a Sunday morning to take us to church. Uh, but, but what I found out much later in life was that she would drop us off at the Methodist church to go to Sunday school, and then she'd go and shop at Target for an hour. I thought she was in church. I didn't know this until years later that she would go to Target, then she would swing back around, pick us up because she didn't want her boys, you know, raised as heathens, you know, going to hell or something like that, kill her in the middle of the night or something. So, so she'd bring us to Sunday school every once in a while. That was her thing. It really wasn't until I was in junior high, high school uh, age, I was invited to a young life group. And then I, uh, a friend invited me to this church youth group. And after a couple of years of going to these kind of youth Christian things, uh, I actually became a Christian. I actually gave my life to Jesus. And, and the church I went to when I became a Christian didn't really preach through the Bible like we do here. They, they didn't really preach through the Bible. They did kind of kitschy, topical stuff. That was their, their main preaching mode. So they did a sermon, like they, they would do these things, like sermon series. One of them was called How to Keep the Honey in Your Honeymoon. It's gross, okay? <laughs> Another one, I, I went back on their website to look these up, okay? Another one they did, they did this something called Submarine Christians, those who surface at Christmas and Easter. That was for me, right? That was us, submarine Christians. It's better than CEOs. I like that, okay? Seriously, one holy week, uh, they, they, they were preaching on Jesus, the trial of Jesus, um, and the sermon was entitled, The Silence of the Lamb. I just threw up a little bit in my mouth, right? 
I mean, it's just, that, that was their thing. They were just kind of into like kitschy, weird little, you know, they thought they were being real clever, but everybody just kind of rolled their eyes at these things. But, but that was pretty much the extent of my church experience up until that point. And so it's probably pr- pretty obvious, but at that point, my knowledge of the Bible was pretty low, pretty minimal. I didn't know a lot. Um, And then my senior year of high school, so right before graduation, another friend invited me to join him at a Saturday night service at another church in town. And so I I, I went, and and when I got there, the preacher did something uh, that was very foreign to me. This is what he did. He asked us to open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. He said, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. I didn't know where Acts was. So I'd use the table of contents. I'm fumbling around. That's why I give you the page number, okay? Because it's okay to not know where things are in the book. So I used the table of contents, found the book of Acts, and then he proceeded to preach for like 45 minutes through a passage of scripture. It was the first time I'd ever heard preaching done that way, which sounds, it feels silly to even say that, but, but it was the first time I hadn't heard a sermon on a topic with a lame title. It was the first time I heard the Bible preached. So I said, I'll come back next week. I came back the next Saturday night. The preacher did the same thing, picked up where he left off in the book of Acts. And then for the rest of the summer, he did this week after week after week until he finished the book of Acts, which is a feat. That's a lot of book, okay? And then in the lobby, this is, they don't do this anymore, but in the lobby, they had tapes. Remember tapes? Tapes of sermons, you could sign up to receive tapes and they would copy them. If you're a Gen Z in here, think of podcast in a rectangular shell. <laughs> All right? That's a tape. You have to rewind it. It's, I don't have time for this. But, uh, but, but I didn't realize at the time, I didn't realize at the time, but I was so hungry for that. I was, I was hungry for the Bible. I didn't even know it until he said, open up the book of Acts. And I was locked in after that. And I found myself for the first time in church, both intellectually stimulated and emotionally satisfied as I dug into the word of God in this church. Uh, and, and listen, y'all, it's left a lasting mark on my life. It's why we preach the way that we preach here at Fathom, straight through books of the Bible. Um, but today, our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 today is the reason why we preach this way, because this is the kind of passage I would skip over. Like the text today is the kind of thing I would skip over if I was a topical preacher, because upon first reading, this section seems really weird and challenging. Like it's just, it's kind of, it's got some twists and some turns and it evokes, even this week as I started it, it was like, I kind of like read it and was like, huh. It just didn't make sense to me right off the bat. I had to work hard at figuring out this text this week. And frankly, I'm a little lazy. I would have just skipped it if I could have, but that's not how we do. We preach through books of the Bible. So let me catch you up if you haven't been here for a few weeks as to what's happening in the book of first Corinthians. Okay. Paul has showed up to, uh, this church or well to the city called Corinth. He planted a church. He was there for a year and a half. He left We're maybe three or so years later, he's hearing about all this junk that's going on in this church. All this sketchy stuff is happening in this church. And so he is now writing from Ephesus, another city where he planted a church, writing back to this church in Corinth. And, 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 
And here's what's happened. The Corinthian church had become infatuated with the world outside, with the the city of Corinth, with the the Greco-Roman culture, right? They loved the ways of Corinth. They loved the prestige of Corinth. They were becoming more and more enamored with these philosophers we talked about called the sophists in Corinth. They loved this stuff. And essentially, the church had bought into the world. And as a result, it had begun to affect the church. All kinds of arrogance had started to infiltrate All kinds of factions and divisions were forming inside the church. It was an unhealthy place. And Paul is now writing this letter back to combat uh, this love of the world. This love of the world's wisdom is what Paul uh, calls it. And his main thrust in the letter thus far and will continue on today is this. The, The wisdom of the world is foolish. It's folly. The wisdom that the world has to offer actually isn't wise at all. It might sound like wisdom. It might smell like wisdom, but it's not wise. It won't lead you where you want to go. And then the gospel, the gospel, though it seems foolish through the eyes of the world, through the lens of this world, it is actually power and reality to us who are being saved. That the gospel is the anti-wisdom of the world, and it is the better wisdom to be sought out. So that's where we're at. Okay, we're going to see what Paul does in, his te- in this text today. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to start in verses 6 through 9. So look at your text. He goes on, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So I'm going to be real clear here, okay? I'm going to give you guys some some heady work in the text, and then we'll apply it at the end, okay? So we're going to do, so. you just stay with me at the beginning. It's going to feel boring. It's worth it, okay? We're going to get through the, the text, and then we're going to apply it on the back end. So I've got a couple of points, and here's the first point that Paul, I think, is making in this text as he discusses the wisdom of God as opposed to the wisdom of this world. And here's his first point. God's wisdom is hidden. God's wisdom is hidden, We see it in verse seven, what we just read, okay? There are uh, two ways of understanding, though, the hiddenness of God's wisdom. And the first is a historical aspect to God's wisdom being hidden. Because what, what that means is that at one point in history, before Jesus came, the way that God would save his people and undo the curse of Genesis 3 was, was veiled. It was hidden, It hadn't been revealed until Christ showed up on the scene. Like, remember what we talked about a few weeks ago. The Jews weren't looking for a Messiah to come like Jesus came. They were looking for a Messiah, but they weren't looking for a Messiah to come and to suffer and to die. Remember what we read? Paul said that the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews. 
Hey, it was scandalous to them that, that, that God would send his Messiah to be crucified. It was foreign to their minds because it was hidden. It was hidden. It had not yet been revealed. So there's this historical aspect to the hiddenness of God's wisdom. But then there's the second side, the spiritual side to God's wisdom being hidden. Because Paul mentions the rulers of this age in both verses 6 and 8. Okay, The rulers of this age that he's referring to are both the Roman culture and the Jewish leadership, the Jewish authorities who conspired together to crucify Jesus. Okay, So what we're talking about here is the Roman Empire at this time, Pilate, Herod, Caesar, like that, the Roman Empire, and we're talking about the Jewish religious elites of that day, the high priest, the scribes, and the Sanhedrin, the leadership of the Hebrew people. And we, as Christians, tend to demonize both the Romans and the Jews. Like we read the, the New Testament, and we're like, they crucified Jesus, so they must be the bad guys. And in some ways, they very much were. But uh, one commentator points out that that the Roman government was, up to that point, the very best government the world had ever seen. Like, it's easy for us to demonize them, but it was the best that the world had ever seen. And the, the, the Jewish religion, the Hebrew peoples, uh, th this is the highest religion that the world had ever known up to this point. It really was. So, I mean, if you remember high school history class a little bit, okay, uh, do you remember what the Romans are known for? They're, they're, they were known for this thing called Pax Romana, Roman peace, right? Like the Roman roads, the Roman aqueducts. Like you think about the technological and the, the civilization that they were able to bring in. Sure, they slaughtered people like crazy, but they also brought the first kind of stability to really the known world at that time. And then, frankly, the Hebrews brought the first monotheistic religion on the scene that the world had ever seen at that point. And really, that, like the, the Hebrew Jewish religion, is the foundation for most of the major world religions today. So I know it's easy to just say, oh, the Jews and the, the Romans, they crucified Jesus, so we don't like them. But, but the reality of the situation is this. The very best and brightest of this, this time period, of the first century, they missed Jesus almost entirely. They almost missed this whole thing. They crucified the Lord of glory is what the text says. They missed Jesus, and in fact, they rejected Jesus. The world missed Christ. And the same continues to happen today. I think the same thing is happening today in Western society. Okay? The best and the brightest of our world can't get their heads around the wisdom of God either. It's hidden. It is hidden from them. So Mark Sayers is this pastor and a cultural commentator, and he talks about the secular vision of our world today. Uh, of what's going on in our world today and how it is failing our world. And this is what he says. He says, the secular narrative of today is essentially this. Religion is the problem in our world. And so the secular vision of the world is, is this. This is the wisdom of today. The wisdom of this world today is this. If we can just rid the world of God, 
if we can just get rid of these religious delusions and replace them with education and technology and tolerance. If we can do that, then we can march forward into secular utopia where everyone's happy, Everything is good, right? Everybody's getting healthier. You're crossfitting and you're eating superfoods, right? Like everybody's just getting healthier. We all get along. We coexist, right? We love wins. Like that's the thing, the secular mantra. And in many ways, that's happened. Like people have bought into this secular wisdom of the world, right? Secularism has largely been bought into. The problem, though, is that secularism is not making good on its promises. It's promising that happiness would come, but happiness is not on the rise. In fact, depression and anxiety and suicides are at their all-time highest. For all of our connectivity and technology and social media, loneliness is is rampant in our society. And for all of our tolerance, all of the, the tolerance rhetoric, let's just get along, right? Love wins. Like for all of that stuff, our culture is more divided and more entrenched and more tribal than maybe ever in history. So Rome the Roman Empire, for all of her power and glory, missed the wisdom of God. And America, for all of her greatness, misses this too. The wisdom of the world, whether then or now, God's wisdom is hidden from it. So I'll put it like this. The wisdom of God, hear me, is not a truth that we cannot fathom. It's not that we cannot fathom it, but it is a truth which humans cannot discover by ourselves. It's not something that you can't get. It's not hidden to the point where you can't grasp it, but it's certainly not something that you can figure out without something helping you have it revealed. This is the wisdom that's hidden here, the mystery that's hidden here, because it can only be known through God's revelation, and it's hidden from those who would trust in the wisdom of the world. It was true 2,000 years ago, and it's true today. So God's wisdom is hidden. That's what Paul means when he quotes the Old Testament in verse 9. So if you look at verse 9 again, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So what he's doing is he's, he's borrowing from this Hebraic understanding of the world where the eye and the ear and the heart are illustrations in this Hebrew mind of like sensory organs, of ways of perceiving the world. And he's saying this, what we can see with our eyes and what we can understand with our ears and our minds and what we can feel and know for for fact in our hearts, those three things, they can't figure out the wisdom of God. Something more is needed than than your earthly faculties to figure this out. We need something else to help us get get God's wisdom. What is that thing that we need? Verse 10. Look at verse 10 through 13. These things, the wisdom of God, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? 
So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You figure that one out? You see why I'd skip this? This is crazy. It's Paul. It's crazy at some level, okay? Here's what he said. Yes, God's wisdom, it was hidden. Historically and spiritually, there was this period and there are these, there are these blinders up in our natural minds and hearts that can't get the, spirit, uh, get, get the wisdom of God. We can't figure it out on our own, with our own minds, with our own faculties. Something more is needed. And that's the second point Paul makes. The second point is this. God's wisdom is revealed by the spirit. We need something outside of ourselves to help us understand God's wisdom. And the only thing that can help us do that is the Holy Spirit of God. The only way we know God's wisdom is if the Holy Spirit reveals it to us through the word of God. That's it. If the Holy Spirit does not reveal it to you, you won't get it. You won't get it. Paul uh, explains by illustrating, okay, which is helpful, although even on first read, it still doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but he says this. He uses humans as an example when he says, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is essentially saying, hey, nobody knows what's really going going on inside your mind. That's essentially what Paul says. He's like, hey, the spirit's the only one who who can discern the mind of God because nobody really, it's only the spirit of a person who knows your own thoughts. So only you Know your own spirit, know your own mind, know your own heart, right? Case in point, uh, anybody in here know exactly what I'm thinking right now? Does anybody, any guesses? Do you think I'm thinking about this sermon? Maybe. Maybe I'm thinking about taking a nap after this thing. Maybe I'm thinking about Chipotle. I mean, there's a good chance there, right? Nope, nobody knows. Nobody knows except for me. Sometimes I don't even know if I know, right? It's like, and even if you guess, okay, so like even if you guessed Chipotle, and I am, I'm thinking about carne asada right now. Like what if, what if that, if you guessed that, you wouldn't even know if you guessed correctly unless I confirmed that to you. Because only I know what I'm thinking. You don't know what kind of crazy is going on inside of here right now. I heard that. <laughs> I could be thinking about my next point. I could be thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch. I could be thinking, why is this section empty? Where is everybody, okay? I could be thinking why anybody in their right mind would want to own cats. I just, I could be thinking any of that stuff. Nobody knows except me. So nobody knows the heart of God except the spirit of God. And the only way that we then know God and know God's heart is through the spirit of God opening our eyes to the word of God. It's the only way. And then look again at verse 12. This is really helpful. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So listen, if you love Christ... If you worship Jesus, if you're drawn to Christ, 
the only explanation is that the Holy Spirit awakened your heart and your mind to those realities. It was freely given to you. You didn't figure it out or earn that. Like it might seem like you kind of pieced it together, but you didn't. The Bible just told us that you didn't. They were gifted to you. They were a gift freely given. And if you're here today and you don't love or worship or, or are drawn to Christ in any way, you're just here for some reason, the good news for you is in verse 13 where it says, we impart this in words. That's a verse about evangelism. The Holy Spirit made this very morning be opening your eyes for the first time to the wisdom of God and revealing to you the wisdom of all these spiritual truths which before were hidden. And then I love verse 10. You might not love it as much, but I love it. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything even the depths of God. I like that. The depths of God. Um, it's actually kind of what we base the church name on. These unfathomable depths of God. There is an inexhaustible depth to God that you can't figure out without the spirit who knows it who minds it, who goes. You can't ever reach the bottom of this well. You can always dig deeper and deeper and deeper still into who God is. I like that. It means you can't figure this whole thing out. It means you never graduate from this thing. It means there's always more. By the Spirit, he searches the depths of God. It reminds me of this prayer. I'll put it up on the screen from Romans 11. Paul prays this beautiful prayer. He says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? It sounds like Job. For, him, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Just love that. If you memorize scripture, that might be one to memorize. Praise the Lord that the Spirit has revealed the wisdom of God to us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For without it, who would have known? We would all be lost. We would all be dead. We would all be hopeless without the Spirit opening our eyes. Okay, let's finish our passage. Stay with me. We're almost to the practical application, which is less than practical, but really good, okay? So stay with me, verses 14 through 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So this last little bit, um, Paul really just breaks everybody down into two categories, okay? The, the natural person or the spiritual person. 
He just kind of puts everybody in all of creation into two buckets. First, the natural person. He calls the natural person. This is the person who has not had the wisdom of God revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. He calls them natural, okay? We would say uh, maybe that they are unsaved or unregenerate or, or lost or just not Christians, okay? But Paul calls them natural, they are natural persons. And then he contrasts the natural person with the spiritual person. And the spiritual persons, I feel like we need to do a little bit of work on this term because the world that we live in defines spiritual different than Paul's using it here. Okay, the word spiritual in our context means something very different than the first century because you've heard likely people say things like, I'm spiritual, but not religious, Right? You've heard this? I'm, I'm guessing. Okay, maybe you've said that. I, I get that. Okay, uh, this is a, the, the spiritual but not religious. They actually, uh, some psycho- or, uh, sociologists call them SBNR. So if you get your own, uh, uh, what is it? Anagram? 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 Yeah. <laughs> when you get four letters ascribed to what you are, you've made it, I guess, at some level. But But the spiritual but not religious crowd is a rather new phenomenon. Historically speaking, okay, um, this is a rather new phenomenon where once synonymous terms, spiritual and religious, used to be synonyms, okay? They now have come to describe seemingly different and distinct domains of human activity. Spiritual but not religious didn't used to exist, but it does today. And so the Barna group, this research group, they explain this, I think, accurately and, and saying this. These twin cultural trends of deinstitutionalization and individualism, you like that? Deinstitutionalization and individualism, these two cultural trends have, for many, moved spiritual practice away from public rituals to the private experience of God within. So as we have rejected institutions, and as we have moved towards radical individualism in our culture, we have now divorced religious practices with institutions and organizations, and rather turned everything inward, and it's become about you and me and just whatever spiritual juice I've got flowing. That's essentially, that's my version of it. Barna's better at it, okay? So we have lots of people in our world who would say that they're spiritual. More than you'd think. Fewer people would say they're atheists than are spiritual. But a lot of of that spirituality is kind of undefined. Essentially, they believe that they are spiritual in some esoteric, existential way, but they aren't willing to define that beyond themselves. When you say, what do you mean you're spiritual? Oh, I'm just really attuned with the universe. Wow. Wow sweet, like hook it up, you know, like I'm interested in that. And listen, Paul would have almost clearly put most of the folks in that category in the natural person category. The spiritual but not religious category that didn't exist back then very clearly would have been, Paul Paul would have said, that's probably natural, Unless one explicitly believes in the gospel that Jesus Christ died, was crucified, and rose from the grave, then they are natural. 
So when Paul says spiritual persons here, he simply means those who have the spirit. Those who are spirit-filled. Those who are saved. That's what Paul means. Natural, spiritual. And he's talking to the church. Remember, he's not talking to Corinth, the city. He's talking to the church. And so he's saying, you are spiritual persons. He's essentially telling his church, you're Christians. You're Christians. It's the good news. And then he ends with this great line. And and if you're Christians, then we, the spiritual persons, the, the Christians, we have the mind of Christ. They're not hidden anymore. The wisdom of God is not hidden from us anymore because we have the mind of Christ, which means this. Here's my translation of that. You know. You know. You know the things of God. Or at least you can. You can know. They have been revealed to you. You are no longer in the dark. You're no longer lost. You're no longer natural. You have the mind of Christ, and you can use that. You can know. You can know these things. So that's a, that's a, a dense passage. You see my three things, okay? They don't rhyme, right? No alliteration. It's just kind of three Points. God's wisdom is hidden. God's wisdom is revealed by the Spirit. And then there are these natural persons or there are these spiritual persons. And those are the two categories. Now, here's the two applications that I want to make uh, for us from this passage, okay? Here's the first one I want to say. Don't be surprised when the natural person acts natural. Don't be surprised when the natural person acts natural. I think this is something that, at least in modern history, uh, Christians seem to forget. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So don't think that they should. Don't expect them to accept the things of God. So the people in our lives, in your lives, in my life, okay, friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, those who don't know Christ, we got to ease up a little bit on them. Just ease up and not, don't be surprised when they behave like who they are. Don't expect them, the world, to behave like the church ought to behave, okay? Often Christians expect non-Christians to behave in a way that's totally unrealistic. You shouldn't be shocked by this, okay? They're not going to act like Christians because they aren't. It's silly, but it's true. So for us to respond, like when when the world gets crazy, for us to respond in anger or in frustration or harshly with these people, that's not how we should respond. It's never how we should respond. Rather, we should respond with compassion and patience and prayer. Lord, open their eyes. Prayer that they would be made spiritual. So we have a number of people at Fathom who, who join us all the time who don't know Jesus, who aren't Christians, who would, we'd say are natural, okay? Um, and if that's you, again, I always say this, please just know that you're welcome. Like I was in church for two whole years before I started really believing and following Jesus. Like sometimes it just takes a season of searching and you are always welcome to, to just be with us and search that way. But I remember one guy who was a part of this church, uh, husband of a gal who came to Fathom uh, and she just kind of drug him here just kind of brought him along, right? Like he wasn't here. He's not looking for Jesus. He's kind of the opposite. He's like, 
I'm definitely not looking for Jesus kind of guy, right? He's here to just make his wife happy. Um, but I, you know, I, I got together with him. I had lunch with him a few times. We connected a bit. He kind of liked the pseudo irreverent vibe that I gave off uh, in my preaching. Uh, interestingly enough, I connect really well with those kinds of guys, all right? Sometimes way better than I do with Christians. I don't know why. It's just, they're cool. Um, but I remember one Sunday, I've told this uh, story before, but one Sunday I was uh, standing out in my nook in the hall. Okay, the pastor's nook, you've been there. You've seen me there, okay? This guy comes walking past me and he says this, great bleeping sermon, pastor. And then he just kept going. And he did not say bleeping. He used the real word, the F-bomb. He dropped an F-bomb at church. Just like, that's the gold medal of cuss words. And most people even, like even in the world, they know, I probably shouldn't drop the F-bomb to my pastor while leaving church, right? He just, he just did it. I loved it. Kind of. I mean, in some ways. But, but listen, he's natural. Don't be shocked when the natural person acts natural. That's just how people talk. If you're in the world, you know that to be true. Now, I told that story once before, and then some of you came to me after church and said the same thing jokingly, okay? (laughs) Don't. (laughs) You're not natural. You're spiritual. You're, You're on the hook, okay? You can't do that. So so, so the first application is pagans going to be acting like pagans, all right? Natural people acting naturally is natural. It sounds crazy to say that, but I, I feel like Christians need to hear that. Here's the second application I think Paul is saying, okay? Start living like the spiritual person you are. If you're spiritual in here, Start living like the person that you're supposed to be. This whole passage has not only been to inform the church members at Corinth of theology of the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of this world. It's not just information that Paul is giving. There is actually a bit of an indictment here from Paul to the church because they weren't acting like spiritual persons. They were acting like natural persons. Paul's saying, hey, you have the Holy Spirit, don't you? But you aren't living like it. What's happening? Like, why are you doing the things that you're doing? And we're going to get into the things that they were doing, and it's gross, the stuff that was happening in that church. This was a rebuke to the Corinthian church. And and listen, for some of us in this room today, I think this might be a rebuke to you as well. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, that you are spiritual, that you have the Holy Spirit in you, that you have the mind of Christ, like if all of those things are true, then you should be growing up in your faith. You should be living like the spiritual person you are. As we say here at Fathom, you should be going deeper. But so many Christians aren't growing up. And yeah, there are seasons where you struggle, okay? And there are seasons of grappling and wrestling with sin. But listen, have you, you got to ask yourself this. Have you made any attempt to live out your faith? 
Have you made any attempt to, to grow up? Or are you stuck in the same patterns of sin and immaturity that you were when you were natural? So many people in the church today, they're born again, okay? They've had their natural eyes opened and they are given spiritual insights into the wisdom of God. Like they get saved. Like people get saved all the time. You hear about these churches that are saving and baptizing by the hundreds. But then those same people spend the next 40 years of their lives just sitting there in the same place never putting sin to death, never moving forward in their sanctification, never growing into maturity. I just pose to you that like, if that's you, you may have superficial faith, not genuine salvation. See, in every congregation, including ours, I said this in Hebrews when we preached Hebrews 6, but in every congregation, there are people who are just caught up in the movement, okay? They're just kind of caught up in whatever's happening, and they've never really dealt with Jesus Christ. So they participate externally, right? They come, and they get excited, and they, they learn the songs, and they know when to lay, raise their hands at the key change. Oh, hallelujah, Right? They know how to pray. They learn how to do that. They say the sinner's prayer, right? Maybe they get baptized in the parking lot, all right? They join a D group if they really want to get into it. But it just, it never represents a deep embrace of Christ. Jesus tells a parable about this. Matthew 13, I'll put it up on the screen. This is what Jesus says. Sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Sometimes seed takes root. Like it starts to even grow and spring up. But if it has no depth, it will not last. For some of you, Paul's words are a rebuke. Or they ought to be. They ought to be. Come to church once a month. Make you feel guilty every once in a while so you throw some cash in the offering box. But you're not going deeper. You're not growing with the Lord. You're not using your gifts to, to serve the Lord. There's no objective evidence in your life that you have a desire for God or for supernatural spiritual change to take place in your life. For all intents and purposes, you're natural. I don't, I'm not trying to be mean, okay? I'm just trying to read the text. This is what's happened in the Corinthian church. And the message to them and to some of us, actually to all of us, is it's time to grow up. Listen, church, it, it is God's will that you grow. It's God's will that you grow in your sanctification. There are still areas in my life where I act like the natural person and not the spiritual person that God has made me. And it's God's will for me that I would grow up. It's God's will for you that you would grow up. In every decision of your life, it's going to come down to one of two things, the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God. You can live naturally or you can live spiritually. And Paul says, you've got the spirit in you. It's time to live like it.
Let's pray together. Even as we uh, get ready to pray, I just, I feel like this morning, let's take a minute and, and kind of reflect a little bit. Um, I just, I just, these kinds of, these kinds of messages, I don't, I don't love preaching the, hey, you're, you're scum kind of messages. But just to, for a moment, I just want you to take personal inventory. Um, like, are there areas of your life where you're choosing to operate natural? as a natural person. I think uh, this morning would be a good morning for you to ask the spirit uh, who has saved you, to ask the Holy Spirit who, who has opened your eyes, to ask him to convict and to deepen you. Maybe it's how you deal with money. Maybe it's how you spend your time. Maybe it's a relationship you're in. Maybe it's how you do your work. Maybe it's sexual sin. I don't know what it is, but, but in those areas, in those kinds of areas, in whatever area the Spirit brings to your mind, I think He would remind you that you know your eyes have been opened. You have the mind of Christ. And today is the day to say, God, I'm, I'm letting those things go. I want to live spiritually. Let's pray towards that end together. Father, I just, I know of me that there are things that are still natural things that I just, I keep wrestling with. Things that I thought I had put to death years ago that all of a sudden have reared their heads back in my life. God, things that I don't want to be about. And yet I keep finding myself doing them. God, that's not okay. It's not okay to be spiritual and live naturally. Spirit, would you would you open our eyes? Would you reveal in our hearts areas where we're still hard to you, where we're still acting naturally, where our flesh and the world and the devil still seem to cling to us? And I pray, Spirit, that we would confess those things, that we would repent of those things, and that we would turn to you. That we'd live the lives that you've called us to live, that we would no longer be be enslaved to the natural ways, but that we would be transformed more into the image of your son. I don't know what you're, you're speaking to, to men and women and students in this room right now, but Holy Spirit, you are the real preacher of Fathom Church. I pray that you speak to your people. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are soft and get, give us wills to respond. Lord, we love you. We bless you for the, 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 these words from, from your servant, Paul. Use them for our good and your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.